Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Clones, welcome back to the Daily Jungle. Lots of show today, starting with another walk-off win for the Dodgers. They're an absolutely insane 51 games over 500 now. And Hugh Freeze is back in the news, and wouldn't you know it, that one call where he allegedly misdialed a hooker was not the only time he called one. And finally, we break down the greatest first pitch in the history of baseball last night at Fenway Park. And we had our usual run of outstanding guests. Delaney Walker of the Tennessee Titans, Iowa State's Joel Lanning, tells his awesome story about going from quarterback to linebacker and BYU head coach. Kalani Sataki was excellent as the Cougars head into their football season. All of that and a couple of good calls. Well, one good call and a couple of crappy calls from you clones. Alvy, go ahead and get it. Stop me if you've heard this, though. Actually, don't because I know you have. At least 39 different times this season, the Dodgers come from behind to win last night. You know how people say in Hollywood, it's a lazy, lazy town. There are no new ideas. The only things they create are remake after remake. You know, there's something to it, especially in this case. I can't disagree. Look no further than that baseball team. The latest victim, the White Sox. And that pyro squad that they have igniting fires in their bullpen. Up two runs in the ninth, they did what they do. Now, this was not exactly some unstoppable force meeting an immovable object, more like an F5 tornado ripping through a trailer park because you knew the Dodgers were coming back. You just didn't know how. Well, I'll tell you how. In order, fly out, single, double, single, Puig. You bet he can. Question of if, the question is who and when. Tonight it's Puig in the ninth. It's a good call by Dodger broadcaster Joe Davis. I mean, he made that call and he started that final call right off the crack of the bat. Remember, the winning run is scoring from first. Davis starts that call before he's halfway to third. You bet he can. Into the gap in left center. Not a question of if. The question is who and when. Tonight it's Puig in the ninth. They come back on everybody. They walk off on everybody. That's not surprising, thanks to Sportsnet LA. Now, I've been saying this for weeks. It's the best LA Dodgers team that I've ever seen. And given that I'm a middle-aged dude who grew up in Los Angeles and has seen some pretty damn good Dodgers teams, that's saying something. Best Dodgers team ever. But even that no longer does this crew justice. I mean, best Dodgers team ever. Best L.A. Dodgers team ever. Please. At this point, I'll just say it. I think this is the best baseball team I've ever seen. 51 games over 500. 51 is straight stupidity. And so is the fact that they've got a real look at the game's all-time record for wins in a season with 116. Now, if you ask manager Dave Roberts or you ask the players if they want that record, they'll tell you that's the last thing they're focused on. And that's the one time where somebody says something like that where I actually believe them. You know, maybe, maybe when they get closer, maybe they'll say that it was more important than they let on. But this crew is not in it for records. Previous Dodgers teams were. Not this crew. The chemistry is way too good. They're all about the main thing, the ring, not the record. 
and especially if it means burning guys out before the postseason or not getting other guys the rest they need before the postseason. Dave Roberts is not going to go all Lou Pinello with it and kill his own trying to get a record. I mean, who gives a damn about the 2001 Mariners? Well, to be fair, who gives a damn about the 2017 Mariners or any Mariners team for that matter? I know their fans don't. No one gives a damn about that 0-1 crew that won 116 games because they didn't win the only four that mattered, the four in the World Series. In fact, they didn't even make the World Series. The Yankees hammered them in the ALCS, which was embarrassing. And chasing that record did have something to do with it. Dumb. Really dumb. And that's not lost on the Dodgers. And they're not going to waste their time on something that really doesn't matter. Don't get me wrong. I can see them getting that record, but they're not going to be all about that record or even about it at all. The ring is the thing, and there is no stopping these guys. Yeah, I know it's only the White Sox. I just don't care because they do that to everybody, and they did it again last night. 51 games, 51 games over 500, and Clayton Kershaw's on the DL. Best Dodgers team I've ever seen, best baseball team I've ever seen. Delaney Walker is my guest. Delaney, good to have you back. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you, bud. Nice to have you. All right, so the team has been going through joint practices with the Carolina Panthers in general. Delaney, from a player's perspective, how valuable are joint practices, and are they better than just going up against your own guys? Oh, it's all, I think it's always great to go against a different team. You know, um, you go against your guys so much, so much, they know what you're doing. And then when you go against a different team, you know, you get different looks, different defenses, different blitzes, different coverages, and it also feel like a game atmosphere. So your practice is a little faster, a little more physical, and I think both teams get great looks. Now, because of what the team did last year when you went 9-7 and seven and you battled for a playoff spot, the expectations for the team this year are through the roof. What's the vibe like in camp and the mentality as you go about preparing for the coming season? The vibe in the camp is the, you know, we got to forget about what we did last year. We want to be a better team. That's why we didn't make it to the playoffs last year. We made some few mistakes, so we want to cut out the mistakes, be play execute football, um, do what we do best, you know, and that's run the ball. We got to get better in the passing game. And then our defense, you know, they, they coming along. They're going to be great again. Uh, you know, there's some few things they want to work on that they getting done. And then in general, you know, we just got to come together play physical football, and uh, win games in the fourth quarter. Delaney Walker joining us. Now, in terms of the offense you just mentioned, you you already had you and DeMarco Murray, and now you add Eric Decker, who's had three 1,000-yard seasons as a free agent. Corey Davis comes in the first round. So when everybody's healthy, how good can this offense be? Very good. You know what? I'm excited. I'm very excited. Like you said, we got Corey Davis, Eric Decker, uh, Rashad Matthews, Tajay Sharp, I can keep going. I think we got them weapons that's outside that, you know, when the ball get in their hand, they can make plays. And so I'm looking to, you know, people saying that my number's going to go down, but I think that having guys on the outside where teams going to have to focus on them, that's going to give me the one-on-one matchups. And then we have DeMarco Murray, Derrick Henry, Marcus Mariota coming back. It, it, it's, you know, you, it sounds exciting, you know, but we got to put all that stuff together if we want to be a good team. Titans tight end, Delaney Walker joining us. All right, so you mentioned your quarterback, Marcus Mariota. He's entering his third season now. In your opinion, how far has he come as a player and a leader in the time since he arrived? So far, so far. I mean, the guy, he leads this team. You know, um, without him, I don't think that we would be in a situation that we're we in. Um, he dominates the huddle, tells us where we need to be, um, a true leader. I think he's just going to get better and better. 
um, his, with his game all around, passing, being able to run, putting us in the right formation. Uh, it disguised the, the limit for Marcus. You know, it sounds like you have the right guys at the right time and the right culture. Because one of the things that you've mentioned is that when you first arrived from San Francisco, you felt like the inmates were running the asylum. The guys would show up late to meetings. There was no accountability. How much of that has changed since you arrived, and how important is that change? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> when I first got here, it was, uh, you know, it was different coming from San Francisco and the way they did it. You know, everybody was on time. We counted on each other. And then coming here, it was a little different. Uh, but since Mike Malarkey got the job, it, it, it ain't you can't walk in late you better not walk on the field late if you better be in treatment on time it's a lot different and you can see the atmosphere is changing and i think that that's that discipline that a young team needs so they can understand this is what it takes to win you know in terms of discipline i thought you had a really interesting tweet this morning and you were talking about how people should be aware or beware of the guy who has stuck around in a profession for a long time and the mental toughness that comes along with that you included the message quote i'm still out here 12 years strong so how much different are you as a player and a person now than when you first enter the league and then how valuable is all that experience i'm very different you know i learned a lot um, getting to play with guys like Larry Allen, Brian Young, um, Hall of Famers like that, being in certain, uh, going through so many offensive coordinators, and then being able to come to the Titans and finally get my shine to be the man and, and taking advantage of that. You know, you learn, you learn, you learn. And I was like a sponge just soaking up all the knowledge. And now that is my opportunity to give out the knowledge. I'm trying to teach these guys how to be a savvy vet and last in this lead by taking care of your body, by having a mental, by being focused every day, coming to work, knowing that this is a business and you need to you treat your body like it's the top of the business. And uh, basically that's what I've been doing, and hopefully these guys can see that that's what it takes to be successful in this league. Delaney Walker joining us. So you were number 75 in the NFL's top 100 players. And during the piece on you, Mike Daniels from the Packers said that you're like a fullback playing tight end because when you get the ball, you run with a purpose. What's your reaction when you hear that? And do you like hearing defensive players say that they know that you're looking to deliver some punishment when you get the ball? Oh, most definitely. You know, when when he said that, I respect him. He's a great football player. For him to hear him say something like that, that goes a long way, because uh, that's how I try to, you know, play the game. I play the game with a purpose. Whenever I'm whenever I'm out there, I give it a hundred, a hundred every play. So you know, just to hear guys say that and feel that way about me, it goes a long, long way. To know that my peers see see me out there working. Now you talked about the vibe on the team, but what about the vibe in that city when the Predators made the playoff run? And what was the vibe like? And in some level, I mean, that's them and you're you, but did that motivate you to bring a similar feeling to the city with a playoff run of your own? Oh, my God. Yeah, you come outside, you you see all these people out here, you see banners everywhere. I mean, if these guys are not excited about that, how the city turned up for the Predators, they shouldn't be playing this game. I want to see that. I want to see that, but I want to see the Titan blue everywhere, and I want to see all the fans come out and cheer for us like that. That's all I want to see. And, you know, I know they'll have our back if we get there. So that's what we're working on. Uh, We know we got the fan base out there, but we got to do it as a unit um, if we want to see that. Delaney Walker joins me. Final thought, when you and I spoke in December, we talked about your car collection. What's the latest? Any recent additions? Are you looking to add anything? Bring me up to date. No, you know what? I haven't found anything yet. I'm still looking for a Lincoln uh, Continental 65, but everyone is just trying to knock my head off of that car. You know, that car is a 
a real trademark, and uh, is they very hard to find, especially in good condition. So as soon as I find one in a, with a good price, uh, next time we talk, I'll probably have it, and uh, you know we can talk about that. No doubt. Listen, how do you find that car? I mean, do you have a quote guy? Do you have a guy? Do you look for it yourself? Where do you find that car? I got a guy. So I got a car guy, and uh, he basically goes out and, and search for this car, and. And, you know, he sends me pictures, and then he sends me the numbers. He always tries to send me the pictures first, and I'm like, bro, just send the number <laughs> right. With, right. with the pictures. Don't try to trick me. So that's how it usually goes. And uh, he does a great job on finding these cars, but at the end of the day, the price is just way too high. So it's been a minute or so since we checked in on Hugh Freeze. It seems like only yesterday that he was getting run right out of Oxford for that one-minute phone call that he made to an escort service. You know, that mysterious call that was on his phone records, but he could not quite explain and told Yahoo was the wrong number. Quote, I've got no idea, to be honest. Like, anytime somebody says, to be honest, they're lying to your face. Hey, to be honest, here comes a lie. Quote, I've got no idea, to be honest. Yeah, when you think of Hugh Freeze, isn't that the first thing you think of? His honesty? I've got no idea, to be honest. I was in an 813 area code, and that was a 313 number. I think that might have been a misdial. I don't think there was even a conversation. There is nothing to it. End quote. Like I've always said, that had to be the worst coincidence ever. A simple wrong number, a misdial, a wrong number that happened to be an escort service? I mean, damn. What a coincidence. What horrible luck. My man misdialed and he happened to call an escort service. Well, come to find out that's not what happened. It was not bad luck. It was not an accident. And it wasn't a one-off either. Because the Wall Street Journal started to analyze the phone logs and wouldn't you know it, a pattern did emerge. And the pattern involved Freeze's travel plans. First of all, you know you're in trouble when a journalist is starting to match up your phone records with your travel plans. And old Hugh was in a bit of trouble. Because according to the journal, quote, the university's investigation uncovered calls of a similar nature over the course of several years, often matching up with travel logs showing the coach's use of the school plane. It goes on, quote, the school said it examined his travel logs from peak recruiting times, often November, December, and January, when Freeze would travel out of state using the school plane, and other public resources, end quote. Wait a minute. Now I'm confused. I thought that call to that 313 number was a misdial. And now we're being told that Hugh Freeze was doing this on a regular basis over the course of several years? I mean, seriously? You're telling me the same Hugh Freeze who led with his faith and his religion with everyone he ever met or talked to, was telling everyone how clean they did things at Ole Miss, that that guy was regularly calling escort services on a school phone while on school business and maybe even from the school plane. No way. A man of his faith rolling like that? Absolutely unreal. And even more amazing is the fact that it lined up with peak recruiting periods. So while most coaches were pounding the pavement trying to find recruits, he was pounding the keys on his phone to do a different kind of recruiting. Urban Meyer's out there doing whatever he could to link up with blue chippers, 
but Hugh was looking to hook up with strippers. Allegedly. Nick Saban would be closing in the living room, Hugh Freeze closing in the bedroom. And again, this is the same guy who just could not wait to tell you about his faith. Every time he spoke, every interview he did, everybody he talked to, every tweet he thumbed out, always about his faith. I mean, what a massive fraud. A few weeks after all this comes to light, and I still can't figure out what's dumber. The fact that he was doing it, or the fact that he was doing it with a school phone, while on school business. I mean, seriously, shouldn't he have been out looking for a five-star tight end, and not a five-star tight end? hey And then there's that detail from the athletic director that Freeze had called, quote, other phone numbers that when you Google them, pull up similar type websites. My man, have a little bit of tact, at least a little strategy. Next time you decide to torch your career and your reputation by calling escort services while you're supposed to be out recruiting, mix in a burner phone and maybe you don't call websites that can be so easily Googled. Look, I'm not here to advise you on how to be a total fraud and an escort service fiend, but pretty much everything this guy was doing was wrong. Really, really wrong. I don't know, maybe a burner phone or maybe a phone call that when you pop into the internet does not show up as an escort service. I don't know, maybe. It's like whenever you get a call, do you ever do this? Do you get a call on your phone that you don't recognize and do you ever go and Google that phone number and what comes up? It's always like thousands of people complaining about that same number. That's like what this guy did. Well, I'm just going to call some escort service that I got off online. Not like they can reverse engineer that. Not like anybody could figure out or track where that phone number came from. Yet he did it over and over and over again, apparently. And all the while leading with his religion every single time. What a fraud. What a hypocrite. And not at all surprising that that's how that went down. Let's try Little Rock, Arkansas. Edward in Little Rock. Edward, good morning. What's up? Hey, Jim. Thanks for the vine. Uh, before I lay into Hugh Freeze, i got to get one thing off my chest, and that is that my first name is John, and I can't use that as John in Little Rock for obvious reasons, because it's been ruined by somebody who, when he beatboxes, sounds like the rap supergroup of the 80s, Fat Boys, at the uh, 20th mile of a marathon. So I appreciate you ruining that name for me, John. <laughs> On to Hugh Freeze. Um, hypocrites like this bother me to no end. He elevates his faith. He uses it to make himself look like a good guy. At the same time, he's putting himself above and making other coaches like a look look bad when he when he's putting his faith above everything else. Just like you said, if somebody says to be honest that they're lying, if somebody says my faith won't allow me to, they're doing it. My faith won't allow me to be anything but a family guy and raise my family in Christ. What is the opposite of that? Well, you're with, uh, you're with uh, some escort somewhere in a leather-studded Speedo doing God knows what. I think that, you know, a perfect landing place for him would be Baylor. I mean, let's just go ahead and, and, and put the two hypocrites together, and they can profess Christ all they want to, and, and just go to co-ed parties and roofie whoever they want to, and, and, and just it'll be a great marriage, and, and you know, 
I, I think that they could also bring in all the evangelical preachers uh, that Trump's used to lay hands on them, and they, they could bless the football team and football season. Let's just go ahead and get it over with and knock out all those birds with, with a couple of stones, you know? No, I know, all right, John. Urgh, Edward. <laughs> Rack him. My man, John, what's going on? Hey, John, did you hear that guy say, call me Edward because I don't want to be John? Yeah, I heard him. And uh, let me tell you why. Yeah, a little rock. Nah, he don't have that kick, monkey ass bitch. Grab some Corona, kill this fifth in the smack off real quick. Monkey ass bitch, monkey ass bitch. Monkey ass bitch. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Joel Lanning. Listen, you've got an amazing story to me. So to fully set this up, we have to go back to last season. And you were playing quarterback for Iowa State. The season wears on. And then you're sharing time at the position with Jacob Park. So what was that time like for you? Um, you know, I mean, at times it was very frustrating, but, um, you know, I was, I was named the team captain last year. So I, uh, you know, I couldn't let that affect me or affect that in front of the team. You know, I had to make it about the team and, uh, you know, I just did my part. Um, you know, as my role, like slowly diminished, you know, I was still trying to be a leader as best I could, but, uh, I mean, Jacob's doing great. He's good now. And, uh, you know, just kind of is what it is now, but, uh, I mean, I just did what I did for the team, really. Right, so the coaching staff knows there's an issue. Like head coach Matt Campbell said late in the season, he's watching film and he realized, quote, man, this is not the best situation for our football team. We don't have enough high-end players like Joel. Here's one of the best players on our team, and he's not on the field, end quote. So at that point, he starts thinking about the idea of you playing defense. So what was your reaction when the coach came to you first and said he was thinking about moving you to linebacker? Um, I, I really didn't have a reaction. Honestly, I was just kind of like, yeah, I mean, I'll do whatever for the team. I mean, uh, last year, right after the season ended, uh, you know, he kind of brought me in his office and we were kind of talking about situations, you know, what's going to happen. Um, you know, there was talk about me. Um, you know, just being all over on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, uh, running back, uh, H-back, whatever, you know, running quarterback and doing all that. And, uh, you know, we kind of had some situations within the team where, you know, linebacker kind of popped up and he just asked me if I could do it right before the ball started. I said, yeah, sure, why not? You know, I'll do whatever to help this team, uh, you know, try to be a better team than what it has been. So, I mean, that was kind of it. And I never really questioned it or anything like that, you know. So I trust these guys and what they're doing. Right, but Joel, when was the last time you had played linebacker? <laughs> uh, last time I made a tackle was in eighth grade when I played both ways. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> All right, so the last time you had made a tackle was eighth grade. Now, I mentioned your stats. So you're not only playing quarterback, but you were playing well. You could have transferred to another school in order to play quarterback. A lot of guys in your situation would have done just that, but you didn't. How come? I mean, I came to Iowa State for a reason. Uh, I mean, I loved to hear. I like, wanted to you know, change the program around the whole time. Uh, I mean, when I was sitting down with Coach Campbell, uh, I was straight up with him. I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to transfer in, uh, you know, my fifth year and try to, you know, try to go play quarterback somewhere. I told him, I was like, I, I would rather quit playing football than, you know, try to go somewhere and reestablish myself um, with new coaches and everything like that. As, as like these new, uh, coaches just got here, you know, two years ago. And uh, so I was just, 
I was just kind of over the fact of transferring. Like transferring was never really a, an option for me. It was either I was going to play somewhere here or I was just going to be done. Joel Lang joining us. So you make the most of the transition. And you just said it yourself, you had not made a tackle since eighth grade. I mean, I've seen quarterbacks make the move to wide receiver, maybe tight end. But making the move to linebacker is not common. So what's the transition been like for you? Um, it's really been pretty smooth. I mean, I couldn't ask for better experience and better coaches. Um, you know, trying to, you know, get the best out of me every day at it. Um, you know, honestly, what, uh, like the mental part of it, you know, hasn't been anything different. I mean, I had to know quite a bit. Um, you know, because we're, uh, as linebackers, you know, we're set in fronts and, you, uh, you know, you got to see things and tell and communication and stuff like that as you would as a quarterback. But, uh, the biggest thing was like the physicality. I mean, I went from only getting hit 12 times a year. Uh, every day in practice now I have to bring my stuff um, you know that was like the biggest deal but I mean the transition's been pretty smooth uh, like I said I couldn't I couldn't have done it without my teammates and coaches so what's that like I'm sure you're still getting used to it but especially the first couple of weeks when you're playing quarterback and you're not taking hits every day in practice and then the first couple of weeks you're delivering hits on a regular basis did it take some time to get used to but definitely I mean I had to get used to the fact that I, I had to run up uh, and hit guys that are 300 pounds, you know, guys that have 60 pounds on me, uh, guys that are five inches taller than me. You know, I just had to get used to that. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, the first the first few weeks in spring ball, when it all really started for me, I was uh, struggling. I was pretty sore. My body was beat up. But uh, after we got a little break, you know, came back after spring break and finished off spring ball pretty well, and I felt confident with everything. Uh, you know, I mean, I feel confident now with what I'm doing in camp. Um, you know, it's been a good chance for me so far, and the physicality part's just becoming an everyday thing now. All right, so listen up. Carly Ray, Snoop Dogg, John Wall, most importantly, 50 Cent. Today is the day y'all exit stage left. Bumped from the ceremonial first pitch highlight reel. Forever a footnote, because last night at Fenway Park, a cancer survivor, a local high school pitcher, good kid, Jordan Leandre, detonated that Mount Rushmore chiseled his own mug into the rubble for the rest of time. Look, we've seen pitches airmailed and spiked and rolled, but we have never seen one thrown straight into the row of photographers near the on-deck circle and never connected squarely with a photog's junk. And for as visual as you think that might be, the audio tells that story just fine. Listen to Leandre get introduced by the PA announcer at Fenway, and then listen to the reaction from the crowd after he throws out that ceremonial first pitch. Catching his pitch is the former chairman of the Jimmy Fund, Mike Andrews. All right, Jordan, fire it in there. Got to say, I've never seen a photog wear one off the junk during a ceremonial first pitch. And the photog never saw it coming because he had his face buried in a Nikon D90 documenting his own demise. I need to run this back for you because the clip is priceless. Take it from the very top and let's go ahead and break this thing down. Catching his pitch is the former chairman of the Jimmy Fund, Mike Andrews. Catching his pitch, Mike Andrews? That photog who caught that ball with his junk wishes Mike Andrews even stood a chance of getting his glove on that ball. Mike Andrews? Might as well have not shown up. And if not for the PA announcer saying his name, nobody would have known he was even there. But that wasn't even the most ill-fated part of that intro. Catching his pitch is the former chairman of the Jimmy Fund, Mike Andrews. All right, Jordan, fire it in there. 
fire it in there? On second thought, maybe just walk it in there, Jordan. Like Smalls in the Sandlot. Just walk the ball in. Clearly, and you probably knew this warming up in the bullpen, you did not have your best stuff that night. Even the best had their off days. But the best part might have been, after the crowd gasps in horror, the in-game organists waste no time in firing up the Wurlitzer in a blatant attempt to turn the page and get everybody to look away and think about something else. Catching his pitch is the former chairman of the Jimmy Fund, Mike Andrews. All right, Jordan, fire it in there. The string band down there on on the Titanic thinks that that was an obvious musical diversion. Hey, nothing to see here. Just a photog writhing in pain, clutching at the family jewels, wondering why he never wrote a will before that night. Hazards of the job, I guess. Most photogs probably think or don't think about strapping on a cup when they go to snap a few picks of a trivial game of catch from 60 feet away when you're like 60 feet away from the game that's 60 feet away. As for my man, Leandre, he was great. He tweeted afterwards, quote, to make matters worse, I'm a pitcher. Love this kid. That ought to make that photog feel even better. When he reads that scrolling through Twitter, sitting on a bag of frozen peas for the next year. One thing to get drilled by a rapper or an athlete from another sport or the lyrical genius behind Call Me Maybe, but entirely another to get wrecked by a guy who not only plays the game in high school, but the position as well. Now, it is worth reporting or pointing out that the photog tweeted that pitch was a little bit outside. Yeah, but I don't know. There was nothing a little bit outside about his reaction when he got clipped. And I don't really blame him if he wants to rewrite the narrative that the whole world right now thinks that he was neutered or has a pair of black and blue eggs between his legs. I don't know. Bottom line here. Jordan was already a hero. Now he's a legend. And there's officially no pressure on anybody, anywhere to throw a good first pitch ever again because I think the worst effort of the rest of our lives will never top what we saw last night. The literal standard right now is don't hit anyone in the junk. Pretty sure even 50 Cent can throw a dart in this new ceremonial first pitch strike zone. You're not topping that. You're not going to break that record. That's pretty much it. I mean, it's one thing to get away, have it get away from you a little bit, maybe sail on you, maybe doesn't break. I mean, that ball is barely in the same ballpark before it exploded some guy's junk. That's the definition of viral. And my man's a cancer survivor, and he's got a great sense of humor. Good movement, too. I mean, that's the epitome of, uh, even I don't know where it's going. Great run on that fastball. You see that thing tail in? Kalani Sataki is my guest. Kalani, nice to have you back on. How are you? Thanks for having me on, Jim. I'm, I'm excited about that jungle karma coming back again for oh, me this man, year. You got it. I'm glad to have you back. I hope you get some. Now, before we talk about the coming season, how about a quick thought on last season? You had an extremely successful first season. You won the nine games. You won your bowl game. What was the first season like for you, and was it what you expected? 
Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I think being in my alma mater, and, you know, I, I grew up a BYU fan, so being the head coach was all a dream come true, and having a Heisman Trophy winner at this school, you know, being our offensive coordinator, you know, it's laying the foundation and, and getting our identity was the goal in the first year, and, and I think we did that. Um, it was a lot of brand new stuff. I mean, getting to know the players, getting to know the team, establishing your culture, uh, all that was done, and now going into year two, we feel a lot more comfortable in year two, but I think it's good for us to um, amp it up a little bit more and and uh, make a little bit more demands and, and change things up and be creative in how we do things and, and uh, expect uh, our, ourselves to grow and get better. So uh, year two, we did a lot of things that are different than year one um, because we want to get better. And then every year we're going to try to keep demanding more from our team and more from our coaches and our program. Lions to talk, you joining us. That was such a good answer because that was going to be my next question. How is year two different than year one? But you already answered it. So when you come to this season, you've got Tanner Magnum coming back at quarterback. He played in 2015 when Taysom Hill was injured. He set school freshman records for passing yardage and TDs. So what kind of expectations do you have for Tanner this year? Oh, great expectations. He he is um, such a better in a better spot now. I think having the year um, last year, I, I was really impressed with him uh, and, and his role as a teammate. You know, Taysom Hill came back from injury and was a starter, and Tanner was able to um, be a great teammate and a great support um, from the sideline. He had the headphones on and listened as Ty Detmer made the made the calls and 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 coached Taysom up all last year. So uh, he got the the privilege of being a, a coach, a, somewhat like a student coach and then also now knowing the offense a year later, and uh, he knows all the nuances of it. And so he's, he's starting to come in, into his own, and we have a lot of expectations for him. But he, uh, he, he has a lot of expectations of himself, and I've been really pleased with him as a leader and, and taking the role of this team as a, as a head guy, as a quarterback, and uh, I, I really think he's going to have a great year. Lonnie, you mentioned Ty Detmer. So what's it like having a local legend, a Heisman Trophy winner, and somebody like that working on your staff, and what kind of an effect does he have on the players? Oh, he's great. I, I think he has the, um, you know, he's the guy that's done it. He he, he won a Heisman. He's the, he's played in the NFL for 14 years, so he's already accomplished all that. Um, I think, he, and you watch him, and you, he's probably the most humble guy I've ever seen. I, I mean, uh, we, we've been trying to get him to strike the Heisman pose because he can, you know, but <laughs> right. he he won't do it, and he's just really humble. And um, I mean, he he's the kind of guy fishing and all that stuff. But uh, uh, when it comes to football, he's a genius. He's smart, understands the game, uh, knows how to work with quarterbacks. And I think he's done a great job with him and this offensive staff of establishing our offensive identity and then um, building off of it. And I think that going into year two, there's a lot more comfort, but I see he, he works extremely hard to get this offense ready, and he's put a lot of time into these quarterbacks, and so I'm excited to see them roll. BYU head football coach Kalani Sataki is my guest. Now, with regards to the offense, you have to replace your all-time rushing leader, Jamal Williams. I know it's something that's generated a lot of talk in the media and among fans, but from where I'm sitting, it doesn't seem like you or the other coaches are too worried about that. So how do you go about replacing him? Well, I think the the main thing is you don't give the keys to somebody and just anoint them as the next Jamal Williams, you know. And Jamal Williams is a hard guy to to replace. I mean, he's the number one rusher in in our in our in our history of football here. So uh, it's going to be difficult just to replace him that easy. And and you can't just uh, you can't expect these guys to, to be the next guy right away. What you do is you do it by committee and you get the team to roll roll behind a, a physical offensive line that returns four starters, and then you let the guys buy, um, buy into their role. And then as soon as that begins, maybe somebody will come out and be, be the guy and, be, and take, the, take the lead. Uh, for now, from what we see, we're going to need all these guys to do what Jamal did himself. We're going to need more than just one running back. And unfortunately uh, for, you know, for us, we have great talent and a physical line. That's what we're going to work with right now. Now, 
You played for Lavelle Edwards at BYU, who made a huge impact on you. He passed away this past December. What kind of memories do you have of him? Oh man, that's that. that <laughs> it's hard for me to, to talk about Lavelle without getting emotional, but he changed my life and, and uh, great mentor to me. I love him, and um, just thankful that his family was able to sacrifice the time that he. Um, for him to spend with his players and his team, you know, because uh, it, it helped benefit uh, for people like me that needed him. And so uh, a guy that was a great teacher, but not just on the football field in life. And so he is a, a life mentor to me, and I, I'll, I'll miss him. But I, I'm proud to say that I, I am a, Lave, a Lavelle guy, and, and the stuff that we do in this program is just something that I learned from him. I think that uh, I've had great mentors along the way, and he's the top of them. You know, I've had great family members and things like that, but he's he's somebody in this profession that has changed my life, and I speak for many, many others that have been through his uh, 29 years as a head coach here at BYU. Their head coach, Kalani Sataki, my guest. Kalani, great to have you on. Appreciate the visit, as always. Good luck, and I hope we can do it again real soon. Yep, I'll take the jungle karma any day. Thank you very much for giving it to us this year. Matt. It's good to have you, Matt. What's up? Van Schmackety Schmidl Helicopter. Hey, you posed quite the question earlier. Caught my ear. What could a major leaguer possibly get from J-Lo? Well, Baglick can tell you that firsthand, my man. A full palm of rump of steel skin booty cheek. Ah! No. You don't like that car. I don't like that car. Not a very good call. Josh in Detroit. Josh, it's a real thing. You're on the air. What's going on, Josh? Not much, Romy. How you been? Thanks for the vine. I'm great. How you been, Josh? How you been on hold for the last two months? What's going on? How you living? <laughs> well, I know you had a good vacation, and I hope the weather was fine. So I don't mean to bring a huge storm in the jungle with this call. After I after the NFL season was released. And since I am the pride of the 313, I thought I would check out the Lions. A couple weeks ago, I made a call and said that they would go 2 and 14. And then after reviewing further, games with the Bears, and they're going to go 1 and 15. They'll be the same old Lions, the same old organization. And so. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Wow, Josh. There it is, clones. Thank you for listening. Do what you always do. Hit subscribe, tell a friend, and as always, trust the podcast. Check back tomorrow for more Daily Jungle. Catching his pitch is the former chairman of the Jimmy Fund, Mike Andrews. All right, Jordan, fire it in there. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.